Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Hey, One Church CEO Live. Great to be with you tonight. And tonight, as I mentioned on the weekend, we're going to be looking at the book of Jonah together. And I'm so happy to have uh, in the room with me, uh, well, in another room actually, uh, Pastor Matt. And Pastor Matt and I are going to kind of be nerding out with you as we open scripture together. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to do hermeneutics and community. And what I mean by that is when you read scripture with others, there's something dynamic when you read it from a diversity of opinion, life experience, cultural backgrounds, uh, perspectives, because it enriches what we're going to see together in scripture. As I mentioned on the weekend, some people think Jonah's about a fish and a, and a man. And that's a miraculous moment. And some people would even say they would want to discount this book because of this miracle moment of a man being swallowed by a large fish or something like that. But if you believe in Jesus being raised from the grave, this is that's a greater miracle than a man being sustained in three days, three nights in a in a whale, and then being uh, vomited up on the on the side of a uh, of a beach somewhere. Uh, this is a book not about primarily a fish and a man. I'll tell you why. That's a miraculous event, but it's only in two brief scriptures in the entire book. So clearly there's a larger thing happening here. You see elements of racism here. You see elements of nationalism and isolation, but primarily you can see a tension between mercy and justice. And this prophet, this prophet's not understanding what's going on. Now what makes Jonah kind of unique is he's the first Hebrew prophet that's called to leave Israel other prophets had prophesied about pagan nations, foreign nations, but they never went to them. He's called to go to a foreign nation. And I can't help but think of the Apostle Paul in, in the New Testament who boards boats to go to foreign lands. There's storms. Uh, there's moments of, of being thrown over. There's, all, there's some parallels in this, but he's being called to a missionary effort, something that is outside of his understanding. And as we mentioned this week, and we'll see in the text a little bit, uh, Jonah's got some real problems with this calling. Uh, he's got some doubts about who, what God is, whether God knows what he's doing. You're going to see that in a moment. But the Assyrians, as I mentioned, were a cruel and violent empire. And I, I didn't get into a lot of it, but actually militarily, they were brilliant. They were the first ones to uh, create mobile warfare or guerrilla-style warfare through chariots. And they put archers on the back of chariots. And that made them be able to do a, a form of blitzkrieg-type uh, warfare that made them so effective in the ancient world at that time. But it was their cruelty that they were known for. They would cut off the legs of the people that they, uh, that they conquered and one of their arms, and they'd leave one arm to make them shake their hands. Uh, they would make their family loved ones parade with decapitated heads in their cities to show how victorious they were. They weren't about just beating nations. They were about demoralizing. They were called, really, they would have been one of the original terrorist-type nations. It was about terror for them. So Jonah has a ton of reservations. So Pastor Matt, welcome to the conversation, man. 
Hey, I'm so looking forward to this. Uh, uh, some good, good comments already. So glad each of you are here tonight. And uh, Elizabeth Shirk mentioned hermeneutics and community. Picked up on that statement you said. Yeah. I, I love having these moments. Jonathan, we learn so much by reading the scripture alone. But uh, I think it's, it's, you see it in the scripture over and over again, how when you open up the scripture in the context of community and you have a discussion around it, how much more rich it becomes. And even if we have different backgrounds, especially, you know, in our church, even though we're part of a denominational background, we have tons of, of people from different backgrounds who would, in the, or cultures, who would be reading from that cultural perspective. And uh, one isn't better than the other. In fact, we have a better view of Scripture and who, what it says about Jesus when we do it together, right? I, that's what I love about this. There's a great theologian, Gordon Fee. Some of you may have read him before, but Gordon Fee, uh, Fee really pioneered this idea of hermeneutics and community. I mean, it's more ancient than that, but he really championed that, saying the beauty of reading with different genders, different generations, different cultures helps us to see uh, God in fresh perspectives. And I, I love his approach to that. And so this is a powerful moment. I'm going to open in a word of prayer and then Pastor Matt's going to read chapter one. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to read a chapter at a time. We're going to reflect on the chapter. I, I invited Pastor Matt to join me because I, I always tease him. I love the fact that uh, he's a Bible nerd like I am. And I, lo I love this. 100%. Uh, yeah, I love getting into that. I hope you're Bible nerds too. I, I want you to be with us too. But we're going to read it together, chapter one. We're going to read it from the New Living Translation. Whatever version you have, I would encourage you to either get, I have a physical copy. I think you have a digital copy of the scripture there yep. with you. On my phone right yep. here. So whatever you have, I would encourage you to pull it up because there's something about not just listening to us, but reading along as we read. So I'm going to pray. Pastor Matt's going to read chapter one. We're going to reflect on it. And then we're going to ask you to respond. So while we're reading the chapter or maybe while we're reflecting on it, add your comments because we want to hear from you. What do you think? What do you see? What are you hearing from the Spirit? So let's pray as a community. And then Pastor Matt, you take it away with chapter one of the, of the book of Jonah. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful for scripture. And God, we pray that you would illuminate our time together by your spirit. You guide our words. You guide our thoughts. And God, truly, scripture uh, not only feeds us, it instructs us, it reveals who you are and reveals our relationship even to you. And God, you've given us the gift of the prophet Jonah and this great narrative that, God, we have the opportunity tonight as a community to find ourselves right in this text. Likely, God, as we read this, there will be moments where, where Jonah looks bad. There will be moments maybe of honesty where, where we think, man, I look a lot like Jonah. <laughs> God, uh, open our hearts to, to receive, because I believe even your, your spirit will be applying scripture to us as we read it. So God, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, illuminate the scripture. Holy Spirit, soften our hearts, God, that we're able to receive the truth that you'd have for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor amen. Matt. All right, let's read together. This is the word of the Lord. Chapter 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up 
and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket, went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, What should we do to, to you to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Well, uh, I mean, there's so much in this opening chapter, uh, so much I couldn't even get to in the weekend. Uh, a couple of things and a couple of thoughts, and Pastor Matt, you jump in, and again, I mentioned, jump into the chat room, any of your thoughts around this, but this is not the first time we hear about Jonah in Scripture. This is not the first time we hear about Nineveh in Scripture. Actually, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, uh, it mentions Jonah's son. Of, now, how do you pronounce that, his dad's <laughs> name? Did you just take a run at it? Amitiah. Amitiah. I think that's right. Okay. I think I, that's right. I'm going to believe that. Amitiah. See, I always have trouble <laughs> with sure. even just names of my own children. So, like, Amitiah. Uh, what's interesting is uh, he prophesied around the time of Amos and Hosea. Uh, if you'll see in chapter 1 and throughout the narrative, one of the biggest things you see about Jonah is what I will call, and it's not unique to me, theologians would call it a toxic form of nationalism. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I'm Canadian by birth. I have roots in, in uh, Argentina, South Africa, and the UK. That was kind of my family makeup. Uh, but there is uh, some toxic nationalism in Jonah's narrative. And in fact, it's interesting 
during the reign of the king Jehoam, during uh, Jonah's pro prophetic ministry, there were two other prophets, Amos and Hosea. Amos and Hosea prophesied against the king and the administration because it was a particularly aggressive king with aggressive policies. Well, Jonah didn't prophesy against him. Jonah was right with him. Jonah supported Israel's aggression in the region. He, he, and you can even see it in later in verse, uh, verse 9. I don't know if you noticed this, Pastor Matt. Uh, when they ask Jonah who he is, he says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. Notice what his identity is first. His identity is mm -hmm. not as a follower of God or a worshiper of God. It's his, national, it's his national presence. And you'll see this play out throughout the whole thing. As I mentioned, the Assyrians, exact, uh, during this time, they were exacting uh, uh, money uh, for peace. They will invade the northern kingdom of Israel after uh, Jonah's life or later in Jonah's life. They'll invade and it's a terrible moment. He doesn't want them to repent. He doesn't want this to happen because of the nationalistic fervor that he had. And he doesn't understand why he's being called to do this. It's, go ahead, go ahead, Matt. I know, I, I, there's, so much, there's so much in there about um, even, even um, you know, our, our, our identity. Just that middle section really stood out to me. It's funny, eh? You could read a book, especially in the Bible, you read this book so many times and every time, something jumps out at you. That middle section that you mentioned jumped out at me even this time a little bit um, where they say, who are you? What is your line of work? What country you're from? What is your nationality? Great. And he kind of answers them in reverse order just like you mentioned. Like, yeah. He starts with the nationality and then and then he mentions God. Um, and and uh, it's interesting, I just, just knowing a little bit about that era, um, they mentioned pray to your God and saying as if like there's multiple gods. Right. And when he says that his God is the God of heaven that made the sea. Right. All the more reason for him to be the guy who needs to pray because if his God is the God of the sea, right. often gods were like. Um, Territorial. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This, then his is the sea God. And so, okay, we need to pray to the sea God. Obviously, if you're, your God is the sea God, it's kind of like you're related to this issue that we're having right now. Um, but that stood out to me. Um, how even the sailors there were identifying from their perspective, and that's that's in a bit of the narrative there. It is interesting that Nahum, the prophet Nahum, actually prophesied the destruction of Nineveh before Jonah gets called here. And I'm sure Jonah was like, I'm down with that. That's, that's the kind of prophecy I want. Now you want me to go with some message towards Nineveh of repentance? And uh, I think he falls into the trap that we all fall into that really we come honest by. It's from Genesis chapter two. It's when, when God says to Adam and Eve and places them in the garden and says, you can eat of any tree except the tree of, no, of the knowledge of good and evil. And I, I like, I think it's Tim Keller. It might be Tim Keller. It's one of the authors that I would read frequently that, that reflects on that passage who says, you know, um, Adam and Eve could not see any good reason why not to eat of the tree of good and knowledge. And they didn't feel like they had a compelling reason. So there mustn't be a good reason. Be just because they couldn't see it, so, right. so they doubted God in that moment. And Jonah's the same thing. Jonah has no, he can see no good reason. And I gotta admit, this is probably all of us. We have areas in our life when God asks something of us, and if we don't see a good reason for it, we don't feel a compulsion or a need to obey it. And Jonah doesn't. And it's interesting, the storm is a theme in scripture, that, you know, this big storm that comes up and, 
Not every storm is rooted in sin. And you think of Jesus on the Sea of Galilee and the big storm that came up and a great demonstration of his power. But what is interesting, the Hebrew word that is used to describe the city of Nineveh, a great city, is the Hebrew word gadola. And it's the same word used to describe the great storm. And it's almost like you get to choose, you choose. You can go into the great city or you'll go into the great storm. And it's almost like there's a consequence for our actions, go figure. A consequence for our actions. There is for Jonah, and there is for all of us. I, I love just one thing, like a literary device, as you're mentioning, he his his heading out in the other direction. As you op- as it opens in this chapter, it's it jumps right into the narrative, right? Like there's not there's no like this is the context, this is who these people are. Right. It doesn't tell you that Nineveh and Tarshish are completely different directions. Um, it assumes a lot of maybe you, you know some of that, or maybe it just wants you to get caught up in the narrative right away. Right. And even even verse three, Jonah got up, went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. But it doesn't say what his motive is. Is his motive uh, he's scared of the Lord, or he's got his own issue with the Lord? Is it is he scared of 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 all those things? Um, Chapter four is when we start to discover the motive, but you're right. Exactly. So it, it's like almost like a, like a good Hollywood movie. It's got the hook in your cheek right in the beginning because you're like, what is this? Why is, why did he, if he knows God is God, he's, he's supposed to be a prophet. Why would he do the opposite thing? Like that's his, that's his job and it's God. Like he's supposed to be the one who really takes God seriously. Well, and because it opens up with like the word of the Lord came to Jonah. I mean, yeah. this is this is his boss. This is where he gets his marching orders, and he doesn't like the word, yeah. and so he's not. It can't be from the true God that something's wrong here. But I, I love that narrative, and I like that you illustrate that, Matt. Uh, the Book of Job is one of my favorite books in the Bible, be, precisely because of that 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 arc of a story. But the only difference is, uh, we you know we know from the very beginning. What, what, that God, Job, God is going to restore Job and everything he has, Job never knows. Right. And it's one of the beautiful things in the book of Job. Job goes through that, and it's in life, you know, we're, we're like that in life, right? If, if I knew I was losing everything, but God said, hey, hang on for a month, you'll get it all back. I can get through it. You know, I, I, I'm not going to need to hold on to God. I, I can man up and get through that moment. But uh, Jonah never knows. And you see the faithfulness and the richness of Jonah. He loves God for God, not for what God gives. And I, yeah, you, yeah, you're go talking ahead. about Job, Job, right? Like Job. Oh, Job. Yeah, God. Job. Sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I was, yeah, <laughs> I was two, say. two J words. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. Good to clarify. Yeah, I, I, I think it's worth putting a pin in all this because, um, especially coming back to the, the, like Job does have that Hollywood ending. Yeah. Right. Where yeah. everything plus yeah. gets back um, but Jonah has a different ending so let's put a pin in that I can't wait to get, get there to chapter four, it's such a fascinating ending I love it so uh, okay. jump in the chat room but and as you do just a, a note guys Jonah in the story in chapter one he is thrown overboard as a substitute it's a substitutionary sacrifice for the sailors and again this foreshadows what Jesus does for us Jesus is thrown overboard into the grave as a substitutionary sacrifice for you and I. Jonah is thrown over and the storm goes and the sailors are spared. Jesus is thrown over 
and sin and death is crushed and we are spared. It's incredible how God works with substitutionary mercy and grace. It's unmerited favor. It's something we don't deserve. Somebody has to pay for the injustices in this world. And, and, uh, and here we see Jonah in the early chapter for the sailors. And now let's, uh, anything in the chat room? Questions or thoughts from some of the, oh, I'm jumping in here too and yeah, looking, but. They're, they're just mentioning that uh, they're hearing some audio. We, our team is working hard on some music right now. I'm just realizing some of it's coming through. Okay. <laughs> so, um, great question coming from it me. Um, I will try and solve this problem. Well, you maybe take a look at it, Jonathan. But it says, why didn't why didn't he just throw himself overboard? Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, commentators talk about this very question, and it's really good. It me, <laughs> I love that name. Uh, so. If, if he had some sort of destructive plan for his own life, he could have taken his life. He didn't need to get into a boat uh, to throw himself overseas in that, in that moment. Uh, Job, or, or Job, I'm going to mess this up now that I introduced Job. But Jonah, uh, when he's, in the, he's in, the, in the middle of the boat, while the, the sailors are trying to, they're under threat for their lives and everything else. And he's down in the hull of the boat and the captain comes and finds him and kind of wakes him up and says, hey, pray to the God, call unto your God. Which God? And this begins, you remember they drew lots? I always find that interesting that God can use something like drawing, lot, drawing lots either to identify Jonah as the guilty party or to identify a man named Matthias who would be the next disciple that took Judas's place after Judas uh, committed suicide in the New Testament. So, God uses all kinds of things, and what really is an illustration is he's using us as we are, where we are, with what we understand and where we're at. So Jonah, why doesn't he throw himself overseas? He asked them to throw him overseas. He's willing to give his life. Now, uh, whether it was suicidal, I don't think it was, because again, he could have done that at any other point. I think there was, might have been a noble moment in this. There might have been a moment of connecting faith or the desperation of these men that he's seeing in this moment. But he knows that he needs to be sacrificed for the st storm to be squelched. So, a uh, great question, Ibni. Uh, Elizabeth says, this is the nature of God. God pays for the injustices in this world. God is the giver of sacrificial love. I mean, that's yeah. so, so good, Elizabeth. And, and it comes back even more later. That's a, a great theme Yeah. Uh, later on in the book. Maybe we should jump into chapter two. Did you so solve the audio problem? I think so. I think we got it. I just had uh, Jeff Mears running stuff in the other room, and he, I don't know how, he must have been double-checking the feed, and he, he heard something was going on and came okay. to help me. But, uh, oh, fantastic. So we, sh we seem to be good. Do okay. you want to jump into chapter two? Yeah, let me read chapter two, and then Pastor Matt, I'll ask you to reflect on it. And again, jump into the uh, chat room. Give us your reflections. We want to hear from you. So chapter one, remember, he's overboard, and it says, it kind of ends up, and remember I mentioned at the top, there's only two brief scriptures that mention the fish. If it was about a fish, and that's a miraculous moment, Jonah would have been pumping that uh, to show the power of God, And but the, the fish is, uh, is important, but inconsequential to the larger narrative that's going on here. So we pick it up in chapter 2. And Jonah says in verse 1, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord with my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the world of the dead, and the Lord, you heard me. 
You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. I was buried beneath your wild, stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence. How will I ever again see your holy temple? I sank beneath the waves, and death was very near. The waters closed in around me, and seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was locked out of life and imprisoned in the land of the dead. And I love this but. (laughs) But you, O Lord my God, have snatched me from the yawning jaws of death. When I, I had lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord. And my earnest prayer went up to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit up Jonah on the beach, and it did. This is the word of the Lord. That's good. Um, I'm wondering if anybody is reading... This, this chapter with, uh, um, I forget, it, it's a type of Bible, Jonathan, you'll know exactly what type of Bible it is, where it has a bunch of the references where you can find, oh, this scripture is also very similar to another scripture, or this might be a reference with to With a this concordance scripture. area. Concordance. Yeah, yeah, That's, yeah. So you might have that, maybe it's in the middle of, if you have two columns of text and it might be in the middle or it might be at the bottom of the page, you might find some of those footnotes in there where it's telling you, this, there's so many sections here that are, are being quoted to from other areas of Scripture. And we probably don't have the time to follow the wormhole. But if you're, if you're, like, uh, if you're stuck for an hour and don't have anything to do, I would say it'd probably be worth going back and reading where some of these are coming from and seeing if you can figure out some of this. Can but you pull out a couple for us, Matt? Get a I, little mine nerdy? Doesn't, <laughs> mine doesn't have it in, okay. it, in the, this, but... Um, uh, I would say here's one thing that I thought was interesting. Um, I just got a, a new translation of the Bible that was done by someone who studied uh, biblical poetry, especially ancient Hebrew poetry. So I probably should go back and read this again, this chapter again from that translation, because uh, you can find here some of the ancient Hebrew poetry style where it's using repetition. And so just you... you, you uh, one section here. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, verse 4, it says, Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more to your holy temple. And then uh, later on, let me just see if I got it right. I think your translation is slightly different from mine, so maybe it might have been just a difference in mm-hmm. um, me, me hearing it from yours. Sure. But, uh, yeah, here it is. Um as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord and his earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. So it's interesting that uh, those, those two phrases, it's just like this is total Bible nerdity. But th- this is like, it's showing you that this is a poetic form. He's, he's waxing poetic here. This right. is a flowery. Yeah. Like this isn't, this isn't the type of prayer that you would imagine someone sitting in the be- belly of a disgusting fish with whatever they, else they've been eating. 
And you wouldn't imagine that this is the type of prayer where he's reciting and, and borrowing from different psalms and beautiful texts that are just like coming to him from his heart. I would be more like screaming, you know, like, so that's, to me, it, it's just, it's so incongruent even in that way. And then, um, you know, just, it's really interesting that like he never says sorry. <laughs> well, I, I, it's kind of interesting at the end, he says, you know, I vow I'm going to follow your ways. And, and it's almost like, have you ever been in that place, friends? You're in a tight spot and you just say, God, if you get me out of this one, I'll never. And, and we see even in Jonah and for us, this is kind of the pattern of scripture and pattern of the children of God, though. A pattern of repentance, a pattern of rebellion. That yeah. leads to a pattern of repentance and to a pattern of rebellion. And I think as the old hymnist would say, uh, hymn writer would say, we're all prone to run, we're just sheep prone to wander. We yeah. all have that rhythm kind of hard baked into our fallen nature. So even though we're redeemed, even though we may be brand new creatures in Christ Jesus, there is that, some, there is that rebellious core still in us that rears its head that causes us. And I think uh, LCF, uh, yeah. which might be Lester and Charmaine Francis. Actually. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it is, yeah. So, so they talk about, uh, you know, this rhythm, and we see, we're going to keep seeing it. Because you think Jonah's having a come-to-Jesus moment here, right? And he does <laughs> until the pressure's off. Well, he, he, he's, this is like the first time where I, I feel like the mirror is being put up in my face. I don't know, sometimes, especially in a story like this, I remember the first time someone told me that the Bible isn't full of heroes. It's right. full of people, Right. <laughs> you know? And if you look at Jonah, you're certainly not seeing a hero. Um, and in this moment, he is really skirting an opportunity to repent. And I do that so much. I mean, even with my family, I, I struggle to say sorry and I'm wrong. Like uh, that, <laughs> it... It stings me so much, and yeah. it fe I feel like I totally get it. Here's the first time where I'm putting my shoes in Jonah's shoes and saying, oh, God, okay, I'll do it better next time. I'll, 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 I'll listen to you better. I was going to die, and you rescued me. Thank you for rescuing me. But it never says, like, you didn't have to rescue me if I, <laughs> if I had just obeyed you. you know? well, well, I mean, some of you guys who might be a little older watching, this is something I would have grown up, and I would have heard this term. This is kind of foxhole faith on full display. It's when you're in the foxhole right. in the war. If you get me through this, God, I am going to serve you forever. I'll do this, this, this. And Jonas has that. It's very sincere in that moment. But when he is vomited up on the shore and all of a sudden he's cleaned up and the pressure's off, uh, Jonas yeah. slips into some old patterns all of a sudden. It's kind of like when you come to church on Sunday and you're feeling like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And then Monday comes. And all of a sudden you find yourself flip-flopping back and forth. It's kind of hard baked into us. Uh, anything in the chat room, anyone else? I, I'm seeing uh, 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 not just uh, Lester and Charmaine, but Jane talking about uh, Psalm 18, 4 to 6, Psalm 9, yeah. Psalm 31, 40, 69. These are some of the Psalms that, that uh, Jonah, and of course, Jonah being a good Hebrew lad, he would have memorized a lot of this. He would have had the Torah memorized, uh, but he would have memorized good portions of Scripture so he can call on it in moments of need. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to break the fourth wall a little bit here, Jonathan. Okay. Um, two, two big thoughts on this chapter. One is, uh, like, authorship of the Bible is something that, depending on where we come from, we could have a very um, specific picture that if this is the book of Jonah, then at the end of this story, Jonah sat down and he penned it right. with the inspiration of the Spirit. Right. 
Now, when you look at this story and you look at what it's saying about Jonah, <laughs> my hunch is that he might not be the author, but the story is about Jonah um, in terms of the person who actually penned it, especially when you think about um, chapter two. Obviously, like there wasn't a voice memo there when he's, 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 he's praying out loud right. and we don't have, so this is, this is a capture of that moment. So this is part of the, the, the artistic build that is so beautiful and inspired by the spirit that we get this. Um, and I, I, the second one, so that's just like sure. a little bit of a, 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 a nerdy thing. The, the, I'm going to keep saying that all night. I got to yeah. think of another word. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. call them nerdy things. Intelligent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the other thing too is like this is where the, the story of Jonah ends in so many different kind of renditions of it. I remember even, uh, um, you know, Bible. I had the, the, the comic Bible. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Um, and, and I'm pretty sure, I, I can't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure in the, that and similar children's versions of the story, it ends here. But these are, these are the dynamic moments, but I, I would argue for us adults in the room right now, chapter three and four may be the more dynamic moments for us. Right. And, but there's, there's maybe just too much nuance for a kid to understand. Right. But I think that the, the trick is, it sounds like, uh, Jonah, if you take it and end it here, it sounds like Jonah was actually a pretty good dude. And he figured things out, went back to Nineveh and everything was all good. You know, <laughs> the, like, end. <laughs> the end. The uh, end. So let's, but let's, yeah. let's move into chapter three then. So remember, Jonah has prayed in the belly of the fish. God has delivered him to like dry land. We talked about it on the weekend. The, the fish actually turns out to be the vessel by which Jonah is saved. What might look like a judgment is actually salvific in, in nature, and it delivers him to dry land. And then, then, it, then we pick it up in chapter three. Pastor Matt, when you read it, jump into the chat room, reflect on it, and we're going we're gonna to work through chapter three. Here's chapter three. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent out this decree throughout the city. No one. Not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done, and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. 
fantastic chapter, and this is hard for North Americans to understand or westernized Christians, because this has not so much to do with individual sin, but community sin. And we don't understand community responsibility in many ways. This coming weekend, we're going to talk about, a part of our Global Focus Weekends, uh, injustice. And we're going to be interviewing a, a First Nations uh, chief of uh, a Cree nation who is a pastor now. And um, his story, it's, I was telling Pastor Matt before we came on here, it, it's tough to hear mm-hmm. what, his, what he went through in the residential schools. And there's a part of me, maybe you or others, we want to think individually, what did you do to contribute to that matter? What did I do? But right. So the idea of corporate sin is something we don't like. We like individual responsibilities. We are self-made people. And the idea that a nation or a great city or a community or Achan sin in the Old Testament uh, infecting the whole children of God, we don't like that idea because that's not my responsibility, right? Uh, right. But, but God... God does see us in community too. There's this individual aspect and there's a communal aspect. And here the Assyrians have done great injustice. This is about justice, this chapter. And the great injustices. But I do, I do love it. I don't want to miss that the word of the Lord came again to Jonah. Yeah, and it was, <laughs> I, I, I love the, the, the way it, he doesn't say the word again. God, I said, I already gave you this message. Just go deliver it. It's, it's kind of like a dad talking to his kid. <laughs> he says, go and deliver the message I have given you. As opposed to saying the message again. He's like, I already gave you the message. Just go deliver <laughs> That's so good, man. I never thought of this that way. <laughs> I, I don't know. I might be overreading it, but uh, it feels like there's a little bit of that in there. Okay, but... Uh... How about his sermon? I mean, listen, yes. uh, uh, did, did you notice his sermon? Let me reread it, and I want your first thoughts about his sermon. So yes. Jonah, go, go to Nineveh, and, and he obeys. This time he's going to obey, it says, but I love his message. He walks into Nineveh, and it says he shouts to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And that's it. This is the worst sermon ever, right? This is... <laughs> Say that again, Matt. It's the worst sermon ever. Yes. Jonathan, you have, you, have, you have to take some heart from this. Of all the messages you've delivered, I'm sure you put a little bit more effort than Jonah did in, oh, his, that's so in good. his sermon. I, I mean, like, it, it, obviously this is another artistic uh, uh, embellishment here that is showing how like how little Jonah he's dragging his feet even in his he doesn't mention God he doesn't say why they're going to be destroyed he doesn't say that there's a chance to repent he doesn't say that God is gracious he doesn't say that that their sin is a cause of of you know hurt and pain for other people nothing it all it does is says 40 days that's it that's so, all you got so two two thoughts on that I, I don't know if you've ever caught yourself in this, Pastor Matt, or if you guys have on online. Have you ever done the bare minimal requirements that God asks? Like, I, like I, God's asking me this, well, what's the bare minimum I need to do here? You know, I, sometimes I got caught up in that when I was younger about even just, like, giving. I'd be, okay, yeah. what's, the, what's the bare minimum I have to do? And, and it, yeah. it's, it's like a, a scarcity mentality, but in terms of uh, pleasing God or, or, or obedience or anything. And it's, he is certainly just trying to escape by here. Bare minimum requirement. He has no desire for the Ninevites to hear this word. 
like even even still he's doing it but begrudgingly kind of like <laughs> when you're a kid and your parents tell you to do something and you're like happy now like yeah. it's <laughs> it feels it feels passive aggressive like it's Nineveh's this massive city yeah it takes three days to walk through it right and he just walks in and has says this one eight word sentence or whatever it is he probably shouted it across the city but like <laughs> exactly. it was like I, i'm out and uh you know I, I think if we ran relationships like that the bare minimum required my wife would not like me i know your <laughs> wife would not like you Matt. it was a bare minimum what are the bare minimum requirements requirements that of me to be a husband well that's not yeah. the way to start in a relationship but that's how jonah's responding here but why why i like that though too listen uh Every time, even when I, 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 I preach for a living, like I've, for all, almost 30 years I've been a pastor, and I've, I've spoken hopefully some messages that have been helpful, and I've probably spoken a few that I've gone home and licked my wounds. I just thought, oh my goodness, they deserve so much better than that. But here's why I trust God. If we can get out of the way and allow Scripture to speak, the Holy Spirit has a way of applying it despite our inability to deliver it in a compelling way, an interesting way, or a convicting way. The Holy isn't, Spirit does it. Isn't, isn't that just like so life-giving for people who Freeing. are up in front of people trying to help them see right. God? Like, I mean, Jonathan, you and I, th this is something we do as part of our job. Right. And at times it can be overwhelming feeling yeah. like, you know, even sharing my faith with my friends. Right feeling like I have to get it perfect for them to understand. It takes, if Jonah can do this and right. the city can turn around, then there's hope for me that the Spirit can use my fumbling words too, right? So let that encourage you. If you've got loved ones who don't know Christ in your, in your, in your sphere and you want to share and you just want to feel like, ah, oh, man, I, I don't know what to say or, or you've tripped over your words at some point or something like that, or I just, just remember... At least you didn't preach like Jonah. <laughs> like, and the Holy Spirit can use anything. He loves truth, and he loves to apply it to people's lives. So the, the second part of it is what's interesting is the Ninevites must have known. They must have known mm -hmm. they had done some violence and that's injustice. Right, yeah. And they do something that's pretty incredible and surprising to Jonah, and I'll use that one word, humility. Mm -hmm. They humble themselves, sackcloth, ashes, they call out on the God, and they stop the violence. In other words, repentance is not feeling bad. Have you ever been in that trap, Matt? Yeah. yeah. You know, I feel bad. Someone catches me doing something wrong, and I feel bad. Repentance is a change in behavior. Mm. It's a change in direction. And so it's not just feeling bad for a moment. It's, it's a change in direction. And the Ninevites do just this. Uh, what's going on in the chat room, Matt? What are some of the thoughts oh, coming up there? Some, some fantastic uh, comments here. First of all, Roseanne's calling me a nerd. I love it. It's true, though. Uh, I take it as a compliment. <laughs> so thank you, Roseanne. Um, but uh, just going back to some of our earlier comments around um, community um, and, and uh, how, how judgment can come in community. Um, uh, where was it here? Um, I think I, I lost I lost it just with the chat coming up with a new new comments here. Oh, Roseanne said uh, it's understanding that they're all in it together, all living mm. creatures. It's amazing to see everyone come together. I think um, that repentance even happens like that. Like I, I love 
I'm, I'm understanding what you're saying now, Roseanne. You're responding to, I think, later in the chapter. You might have heard me chuckling when I was reading it. I find this part pretty awesome, where even, even the, the animals weren't allowed to eat or drink, and they must be wearing sackcloth. It just, it's a funny picture a little bit that even the animals were being forced to, to wear, wear the, you know, the humbling robes of repentance. I, I think uh, uh, God reflects on even the animals in this, uh, in this narrative. It's the people and the animals that matter to God. All of life matters to God. So go back. Last time you and I had a conversation like this, Jonathan, we were, we were talking about um, our, our series Planet Earth, right? Planet Earth, yeah. yeah. Here's just a, like another little nugget there for us that God really does care. He really does care. So, okay, little yep. nugget there from Roseanne. That was really good. Um, LCF is doing another, probably a little mirror uh, response here. How many chances does God give us? Hmm. He is more gracious to test us again and give us a way out. Give us another chance. Um, Roseanne says, it's like Jonah says, check mark, done, I'm out. Uh, <laughs> M. Palmer was like, I was just thinking that too, Matt. He does a poor job because he doesn't really want to do what God asked him to do. And Kimmy Hope says, I like this question. How come he didn't get killed? <laughs> you know, he's going into this city that is violent and ruthless. Right. And he goes to them and says, uh, 40 days, you're going to die. I was reading like, one biblical scholar that said, this might have been part of Jonah's obvious reservation about going. He already knows right. who the Assyrians are. He knows them well. First off, he's nationalistic. He hates them. Uh, they are uh, opportunistic and cruel and violent, but also, too, there must have been this moment, because he's the first Jewish prophet to be called to go to a foreign nation, and eventually Jesus would say to his, all his followers, go into all the world, but he's the right. first one to go to a Jewish nation, and I, I, I'm sure he's thinking, like, well, this is it. You know, this is like committing suicide, maybe, if I go there. So right. I'm sure there's some self-preservation things. I'm sure there's some self-interest things that are part uh, of that narrative. I, I would have been nervous walking to that city, especially it's not a good news message, Matt. Yeah. It's not a good news message. <laughs> there, it's, it's, a, it's a tough pill to swallow for them. Okay, just I want to pick up on something because sure. th there's some like, you know, any great story has these sub-themes that keep appearing in it. And Jonah wanting to die is one of those It is themes. over and over in the So he, he wants to, just throw me overboard, wanting to run away from God. To the end of the world, Tarshish was like, where they, when they drew the map, it was kind of at the edge of the right. map, right? That's right. So take me out there and just like, I'll be away from the temple, be away from all my people. My life will be over as I know it. I don't care. You will never he, see he, home again. Yeah. Yeah. He just, he basically, he keeps wanting it all to end. I just want to, I just want to run away. I want everything to end. And there's another moment, maybe, maybe, yeah, like you're saying, he sees that as suicide. You're wondering, uh, you know, like, is he going to experience that? Is there a part of him that is as blunt there that he's just saying, oh, just kill me anyway. If, if God's going to make me say this, I'm just going to say it really mean and give no hope. Right. So that maybe it, it's like a very futile kind of feeling that you get from him. And I, it shows up again later Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the last bit yeah. too, right? So that's one of those little themes that are, are weaving through. You're getting a little bit of his character coming through there. You know, you know there's another part of this aspect that, um, that's, this is why sin is so powerful in our lives too, guys. Sin provides a temporary shelter from the will of God in our lives. And sometimes when we're running, 
Sin looks very attractive. I love the old writer of the hymn that says, um, my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin I resign. Mm. And it was originally written, for thee, all the uh, pleasures of sin I resign. And uh, it was rewritten later because they felt they didn't like to put pleasure next to sin. But let's be right. honest, there is a pleasure aspect in sin, whether it's him running even away from the losing his life as he knew it, but getting to Tarshish. But there's some pleasure in that, escaping maybe, having to go to Nineveh, right. all of that. And pleasure, it, it provides a temporary shelter, which almost is a parallel to chapter 4, which yeah. we'll get to, but that shelter can't last. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it eventually leaves you in a worse place. So w- with that in mind, why don't we jump to chapter 4? Sure. Can I, can I ask yeah. you one question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just before we do. I... I uh, I love this thought, and don't you? You might have just like a, a one-liner uh, response to it, but what do you think about this this uh, this line? When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to the evil ways, He changed His mind. Oh, it, this is powerful. This is like Moses petitioning God on behalf of of, uh, of His yet. people, and God's judgment's ready to fall, and and God holds back His wrath. Yeah. And, and often we, we feel like, we, you know, yesterday, today, and forever, he stays the same. Right. That, those types of things, his steadfastness. But there's also something there wrapped up in God's nature where he is so ready to change his mind. Quick for mercy. Right. Compassionate. We're going to see in chapter 4 his, his complaint. And his right. complaint is all about the fact that God is very consistent. It, it's, it reminds me of the Apostle Peter that he's holding back his anger, hoping that, giving time for people to repent. He's holding back judgment, giving time for people to repent. Why? Desert, we deserve judgment. Kindness and compassion and mercy and love is just beautiful. Let, let's, let's read chapter 4. Let's chapter 4. Okay, you ready? Chapter 4, you got it? This is the last chapter. This is a lot of things come together in this chapter. Pastor Matt's going to jump out with the kind of first reflection on that. Let's jump into this. It says this. This change of plans upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew you were a gracious, compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. I knew how easily you could cancel your plans for destroying these people. Just kill me now, Lord. (laughs) I'd rather be dead than alive because nothing I predicted is going to happen. Uh, Goes on, verse 4. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under, and he waited to see if anything would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased some of his discomfort. And Jonah, Jonah was very grateful for this plant. But God also prepared a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it soon died and withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God sent a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he became, grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, 
Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. And a plant is only at, at best short-lived. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all of the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Woo, mic drop. Mike so good. I, I, uh, th- that opening is just one of my favorite parts of this, this whole book. Uh, I, I forget what it's called. Um, uh, the, one of the, the, you know, how God revealed himself in, in kind of stages to the Israelites. Mm. And first to, to, um, um, uh, uh, man, I'm getting Moses. He yep. says, I am who's sending me. He says, I am. And then later on when they're in, in Egypt and, and uh, he starts to, to fill that picture of, of who I am is, and I am the Lord, uh, gracious and compassionate. I bring justice upon uh, generations and I bring mercy on hundreds of generations or ten- dozens of generations. I can't remember exactly that, that kind of phrase of who God is, is, what was rattling around in the brain of Jonah. Right. That statement, that I statement, I am this God. And he knew, I knew that was you, God. I knew you were going to be faithful to you, who you call yourself. I knew that you were just way too good to be true. <laughs> that is his reason. So this is, I'm just referring back to where we started. Yeah, totally. He, we didn't know for sure why no, uh, Jonah was running. And now he finally comes out with it. Because I knew you would forgive them. That seems like the exact opposite thing that that um, someone would want want to go to to and was apparently carrying the word of the Lord. Like I mean, if if we, if that's our job, Jonathan, to to carry the word of the Lord, we want people to experience it. Maybe he's scared because they think they'll kill them. But he, clearly here he says, "No, I wasn't worried about them killing me. I was worried about them repenting mm-hmm. and you not not giving them what they deserve." Did Did you pick up in verse three? I, I find this fascinating. It kind of jumped out in the text for me. Uh, just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive because nothing I predicted is going to happen. And right. I think, I think it's, there's, there's elements of ego in that statement. There's elements of self in that statement. There's elements of, of you know, obviously pride in that statement. I find that a sticky comment <laughs> that, oh, that yeah. sticks out in the text that, that uh, you know, you might as well kill me. Because I'm a prophet, this is what I do, and I predict things and things come to pass. And right. you gave me a prophecy, and it's not going to happen. I'm going to have egg on my face. Yeah, totally. It's a if, you know Jonah's, if you know Jonah's story, it's egg on my face again. Yeah, yeah, because exactly. Because of his, his previous, like you mentioned earlier, uh, his previous prophecy uh, about Israel being safe, but it was it was ransacked, right? So, um, yeah, no, that's a... I, that what an end to, and it's so melodramatic. He really seems like uh, just over emotional. Well, I don't know. I like uh, M. M Palmer in the chat room says Jonah is a drama queen. Totally. <laughs> I think that's on, what I was that you say. nailed it, M Palmer, <laughs> in yeah, the chat room. Yeah. It is interesting. Verse four. I love. Uh, it's almost like God plays the role of the therapist. Because you know how you reflect a question to someone? You know the answer, you know that, but you're reflecting it to help them. And when he says, is it right 
for you to be angry about this. And he says it twice in chapter four. And it's almost like the role of a therapist. It's a kind way of trying to get you to come to your own senses before I have to tell you. Right. And, and he's got, it's, again, I just see the mercy of God in that. I don't, mm-hmm. Jonah, Jonah, I hear you, but is it right for you to be angry about this? Yeah. And of course, then Jonah goes out and he's sitting, sitting out there. And it's kind of interesting that um, he's burning with anger. And he goes and he makes a shelter and God causes that leafy plant in the Hebrew. Uh, the, the word in the Hebrew is, uh, I forget what, oh, uh, gaganyon. I, I'm probably mispronouncing it. But they think it's a castor plant because those are the plants that grow big with those leaves in that, in that uh, area of the world. And that, that's what they think happened. And of course, he gets comfort from that. And I find it interesting that it says this eased some of his discomfort. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Yeah. I wonder if there's not, because when it goes, you can see there's a sense of entitlement even in this. Yeah, and it, I don't know. I, you know the economy of this writing is just masterful. Every word is filled with meaning and is so intentionally chosen. So I, I, I find it really fascinating that why they chose to write this specifically as he was happy for the plant. That he wasn't happy that God provided the plant or that God took care of him. That God was, like, he didn't see the hand that had caused the plant to grow. Right. He, and his, his fixation was on the physical, on the, the immediate, on the natural, on the circumstances that he was feeling. The things that impacted him. And even the language that's used there, the word comfort is... Uh, the same word for grieving over something that you lose, uh, mm. compassion is, compassion is, sorry. And, and it's the same word. It's almost as if, listen, you, you have, you're grieving over a plant and God is saying, I'm grieving over people. Right. People matter. Right. That's why even this, you know, two weeks ago, we paused to remember those residential children. Right. They all matter. Human beings matter. And it is interesting, and it's not lost on me. I hope it wasn't lost on you, especially all you animal lovers, that God includes yeah. the animals with the people as being precious in that city. I think yeah. that's very interesting at the end of the text. Yeah, and they're living in a, in a circumstance that is caused by spiritual darkness. Right. Um, they're, they're almost like they're even more innocent than the humans that are innocent. Like, they, they didn't cause the pain or the... The, the sin, the judgment that was about to be poured out on them, right? Like, uh, interesting there, right? But that's like, uh, again, I think it's very hard for me to understand it. Maybe you, Matt, and us, if we're, uh, if we all, under, you know, can lean into the text together. We don't like corporate responsibility. Yeah. I don't like re- responsibility of people that my, it wasn't me directly, whether it's systemic racism or poverty issues in this world, whether it's what's happened to First Nations people or any of those injustices. But uh, we're around it and we're a part of it. Yeah. And I hate that, but it's true. And yeah. here, you, you can't tell me out of the 120,000 people that everyone was doing injustice. I'm sure right. there were children in that. I'm sure that, but the community was being judged. What they were yeah. allowing to happen was being judged. Yeah. It's sobering. And, and how much of that, Jonathan, just question, I know you're, you're, you're even more of a history nerd than I am. Um, <laughs> nerds. 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 <laughs> uh, uh, 
uh, in that context, there was so much more of an identity in community, even going back to what it was at chapter two when he's get, or chapter one when he's thrown overboard and they're asking him, what community are you right, from? Right. There's so much more of a personal identity being where you were from and who you belong to. Like what, what is that? It's a difference is there something between, there for us. Yeah. Traditional cultures, modern cultures, guilt-based cultures and shame-based cultures. I'm positive there are people listening because in the world, there are many shame-based cultures and shame is, like, uh, shame is not, not believing you're worthy to live. Uh, guilt mm-hmm. is feeling bad for something. But shame-based cultures are strongly linked to family. What you do reflects on your parents, reflects on your people, reflects on... And it's all attached. That's why even mobility in ancient cultures was not nearly as successful. We think, like I, I've moved, I've lived in four different provinces. I've lived in Montreal, Halifax, St. John, Toronto, and I've moved around and I'm able to make a life wherever I go. In ancient cultures, you couldn't move over to the next neighborhood. Nobody's going to give you work and take it away from their people. Right. It was very protective, but it was very insular. And there's a beauty in that too, though. People looked out for each other. So, right. so, He's in a shame-based traditional culture. And so the idea of community would make sense to them. The individual made less sense to them. We're the exact opposite. And that's the Greco-Roman thinking that North Americans are affected with, which is really the individual person. You are a person. And this is why scripture does challenge that thought and that Greco-Roman thought when you think of when, you know, when when I became married, it's no longer I, it's us to become one. And those children are my responsibility and a part of, I'm responsible to them and what my decisions impact them. But in a real sense, all of our individual decisions affect our community here even. That's cool. I I think I've heard that a few times. And I think as you're explaining to me, it it really kind of uh, clarified in a way that I haven't heard before. Like guilt being a stain on your own identity. Right. Shame being bringing dishonor to your community or to those that you, that you're, you're identify with kind of being the two different motivators, right? This, this is the, this is the difficulty with colonialism, not to get historical on us and everything. It, it imposed Western values on traditional cultures or, and traditional doesn't mean primitive either. These are just uh, narratives on how cultures operate. And colonialism was destructive in nature because it sought to tear down that sense of community to mm. uh, become an individualistic mosaic kind of thing. And so there, right. there, there's, a, there's, a, there's impact in uh, that Greco-Roman thinking, mostly uh, strongly embraced by European thought, but uh, he, he is coming from a traditional culture. Uh, let's jump in the chat room. Lots of comments, it looks like, that's yeah. been flowing in there. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, it's going to take a minute to catch up here. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, M. Palmer, we had greater expectations of him. Still, God is a God of second chances and did not give up on him. Yeah, so you know, even then there, not giving up on Jonah. Interesting, right? right? Yeah. That uh, despite... <laughs> Him running the other direction, he didn't find another prophet. He didn't, he didn't, you know, even at the end when he said, <laughs> I could see God like washing his hands. Okay, fine. You want to die? Fine. Okay. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to, but he instead he protects him and tries to, to like you said, to nurture him into um, understanding his own lack of perspective. Um, 
Rachita says... Oh, yeah, you go over there, and I'm going to go with it me I next. wish I knew what Jonah did after that mic drop moment from God. I, this, is, this is going back to that thought I, I mentioned at the beginning, how Job's book ends with restoration. Right. Jonah's book ends with a cliffhanger. Right. This is much less of a Hollywood story, and we are left to kind of ponder. I think that's the brilliant end of this text. I think it's because it it throws the whole narrative into our laps. Well, you threw a quote. At, you it. threw a quote at me before we came on camera. This would be an optimal time to give that quote, because yes. because I do think that cliffhanger is for a very specific reason for us as readers right now. So my my mother in law got me this for Christmas a couple years ago. This is a massive book. There's for for scale. This is from. Uh, Get it right, because we just did uh, uh, another project. This is from the Bible Project, um, and they'd make fantastic videos. And they started off with a series of videos where they would un, un, kind of unpack each um, book of the Bible. Highly so recommend, is, by the way, guys. This is their, it's hard to see on that, but this is their, their huge description, illustrated unpacking of the book of Jonah. And th they have um, fantastic videos. I'll try and put a link. As soon as we're done here, I'll put a link to it. Because there's tons of stuff. Even stuff that I've been saying probably came from them. Because I, I found it fascinating. But I love how they ended their, their, their video. The, their script ends with this. The book of Jonah holds up a mirror to whoever reads it. In Jonah, we see the worst parts of ourselves magnified. Which should generate humility and gratitude that God does love his enemies, us, and puts up with the Jonah in all of us, the other side. And then this, this is a, the, the challenge here too. This strange story becomes a message of good news about the wideness of God's love, which ought to challenge us to the core. Often we don't think about God's love being a challenge, but it's clearly that's, that's Jonah's whole challenge here is how big God's love is, right? I mean, what a great quote. So it leaves us hanging so we can find ourselves in the story. Derek Kidner, Old Testament uh, theologian, fantastic, reflecting on the prophets. He, he keeps saying, he said, the prophets uh, uh, paint a picture. And he said, it's like walking into a room and you see across the room, you see, and this is his words, you see a painting of the ugliest person you have ever met in your life. And you walk closer, and the closer you get to that painting, you begin to realize it's a mirror. Right. And the Word of God, and this is the gift, though, of conviction. Is, I, I say it on the weekends, that conviction is evidence God loves you. But it's hard. But it's such a beautiful gift when God holds up the mirror to our souls by His Holy Spirit. As the psalmist would say, search me. See if there be any wicked, evil way in me. Why? So we can despair of it? No. So we can marvel over God's grace and love yeah. for us. Uh, it's interesting. It me has this great theological question in the chat room. It says some translations say that the Lord, that that God, uh, that they repented. Others say uh, that or that He relented. I have seen people try to argue that God changed His mind. Here does not. Uh, does not know what he himself will do next. What do you say? No, God always knows what's going to happen. God, God has no limitations. There are no blind spots for God. There are no shadows in God's world or anything. Uh, this is God responding. I, like yes. God knows all things. Does that mean God may... So I always think of this. This is the difference of predestination and foreknowledge. 
Right. So the argument is if, if everything is predestined, why do you even bother trying? Right, right. But because God has foreknowledge doesn't mean that he has predestined everything. And there is, pre, you know, I don't want to get into a theological debate from the New Testament right now. Sure. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I know tomorrow that McDonald's will open up. Me knowing that is not because, doesn't mean I'm predestining that to happen. It is foreknowledge based on previous knowledge. But God has foreknowledge that's not just based on, because he sees all things at the same time. So we see the story yeah. in a linear fashion. God sees it all at once. Everything's going on at the same time. So yeah. God does not work on the same time frame or, but the story is analytically linear laid out because that's the way we operate in time and how we see it. So he knows what's going on in this. But it is interesting. I thought you were getting at it, me. Some people reflect, so did the Ninevites repent, change, and come to the true God? Right. And most theologians would say probably not. They repented and changed their behavior, and the wrath of God was... But the Assyrian Empire goes on to do terrible things. They haven't even invaded Israel yet, but they will, and they will crush Israel. And the things they do is... Horrific. Uh, so there is coming doom for, for Israel, uh, for right. uh, Assyria, but they, there's a repentance and it holds back the judgment of God that they rightfully merit and deserve in that moment, but they do repent. But whether they've embraced the full gospel idea, that's, that's not in the narrative. I love how th- this question actually kind of pulls one of the key identities of God in how he reveals himself to us as a relational God as one who chooses to to allow himself to be influenced, allow himself to be persuaded. Uh, it doesn't mean he he changes his mind in terms of um, he he thought oh why did I think that that was such a bad idea. Mm. It was more that like you mentioned how Abraham when he prays he allows himself to participate with us that he would stoop so low to let himself engage with with the creation that is so messed up in so many ways and ignored him in so many ways that he would still have that conversation and allow us to, you know, petition him. That there's a huge, I don't know, that's a beautiful image to me, you know? Yeah, it's almost the image, like, um, you you would never have known my grandfather. He died, like, in 1984 my on my dad's side. And he was born in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and he was uh, such a dignified guy. And I remember being a little nervous around him. He was so dignified. And um, my, he was sent off to boarding school. His mom died when he was little. He grew up with a, There's lots of narrative around him. But you would see him so dignified. And it would be surprising to watch him just grab a baby and cuddle that baby and hold it. Mm. Because he had a little bit of a distance and dignified air to him. And we can sometimes do that with God. And we can do the reverse of that, but when it says God is our friend in Scripture, He's so approachable. Yeah. He so gets down on the floor and plays with us and right. loves us. He created us to lavish us with His love so that in turn we could lavish others with, our lo- with, with the love that He's firstly given us. And yet, there's this respect. So it's kind of like, uh, like, I love your dad, Matt. And I'm sure I know I how <laughs> I know how tender he is, and I know how much yeah. he loves his boys. But I, yeah. I'm sure there are moments where you feared your dad. I'm sure there are moments <laughs> when 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 the hammer came down, or and, and there's this respect, love all together in a healthy sort of expression of who God is. 
And we don't all have that in our lives. And we don't all have pictures of that. But God is to be feared. God is to be revered. He's holy. He's awesome. He's powerful. He's other. Yeah. And yet he's close and beautiful and friendly and loving and caring. It's beautiful. What, what an amazing little picture of, uh, like, in uh, just we're, we're focusing on that little question there. But, again, just some beautiful stuff that is so, so heavy with meaning throughout this. We got a great question, kind of uh, two questions uh, I, I noticed uh, from the same person that are kind of cousins that are probably worth talking about. First question was, uh, maybe it is good to be direct in witnessing for people to wake up from their sin. Hmm. So we, we have, we have I, I guess, taking Jonah as, as the... Uh, the prophet. The, the, but like a, a, um, an example of how to witness. I don't know if I would point to him as the best, <laughs> best example of how to share your faith. Um, I, and just going back to what we were saying uh, earlier, we were saying, isn't it God's mercy that he doesn't need us to say it right, right. For, him to, for him to use our words? But I don't think that means we should be lazy or, or we should be blunt or aggressive with our words. I think we want to, um, you know, the, the packaging that our message comes in should resemble somewhat of the message. If it's love and grace that we're talking about, that maybe should resemble That's some good, of how man. we package it, right? Well, I mean, Jonah's not our ultimate example. Jesus is. Right. And we speak the truth in love. And uh, all I know is truth devoid of love is usually a weapon. And, right. and uh, this is weaponized by Jonah. God uses in spite, like, if God can use Balaam's donkey... He can use any of us and he'll use Jonah and he can right. use us in our flawed, broken states. But it's not an excuse for uh, the fruit of the spirit not being evident in our lives that we are speaking truth cloaked in love. And when I speak it lovingly, it doesn't mean I water it down. It's, right. it's that I know the person I'm speaking to and I know that I, I, have, I have five siblings. I know that I can't speak to them all the same way because they, they're different people. And they see light differently. And some of them I can be very direct with. And I'm more of a direct communicator. Uh, some of them, I know that, you, you know, you need to warm up and take the long road around. And it's not, it's just loving them that I'm uh, being more patient in my delivery. Right. And so I would say this, truth, truth without love is often destructive. Can God use it? Well, clearly he can. But, yeah, but, yeah. but, uh, but it's, it's not the model that Jesus actually gives us. Actually, his harshest language is to those who are on the inside, not those who are on the outside. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I love this question here, Jonathan, that kind of ties into this. That's part of this Bible Project um, book. And this might speak to this a bit for you. Are you okay with God loving your enemies? Mm. It's just kind of the question where um, do we actually want people to come to faith when we're, when we're sharing it? Would we rejoice in that? Are we excited for them to become a part of our family and come close to us? Or are we just saying it so that we can say, aha, you're there and I'm here. Mm -hmm. I have this faith and you don't. And because of it, you're going to experience pain. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that enjoys that position in us? And then that's something to just consider in ourselves. That's a big picture we see there with Jonah. And you know, the, the flip side of it that they have here is, aren't you glad God loves his enemies? Meaning us, <laughs> right? And because we're the Ninevites too. 
We are Jonah. Exactly. We're the Ninevites yeah. in the story. We, we, we've all played all those roles. Uh, granted, some of us are more micro versions, but they're all there. We all have microaggressions. We all, and we've participated in macroaggressions. We, we are the Ninevites, too, in this story. That's, that's yeah. really good, Matt. Love that. Yeah. Well, friends, uh, you know, it's, it's after eight. I was going to keep you for one hour. Um, uh, Kimmy Hope says this, if you care and you are honest and loving, people will listen and get something from it. Well, Kimmy Hope and the rest of you watching, I really hope that you thought that Matt and I were caring and loving and you got something from this. <laughs> uh, but every time we read publicly scripture, and this is something Pastor Matt and I have been talking a lot about, you know, we're headed into a season in this church and we really feel it's the burden of the staff even you know, whether it's prayer, elevating prayer, we feel like uh, we need to raise our spiritual quotient. And I really want to invite you into that space uh, to do that yourself. And reading God's word in community has, is often engaging for those of us certainly that are more energized when we're around other people. And maybe a, a private personal time is really hard and we like yeah. corporate moments. That's great. And if you're on that uh, side, you, you, I would encourage you, though, develop some private personal moments. Those are really good, yeah. too. There's a reason yeah. why Jonah could quote Psalms in the belly right. of that whale. Sometime yeah. along the line, he spent time alone studying and memorizing Scripture, too. So, but we're committed as a community doing this. And Matt, I'm going to ask you to close this in prayer. Sure. And, uh, you know, I, I just see so many people in the chat room. Uh, yeah, Roseanne called us caring and loving nerds. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Roseanne, you're the best. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, Elizabeth says, interpreting scripture in community is really helpful. Thank you. Uh, Richita said, this was awesome. Thanks for you. Kimmy Hope says, I, I learned a lot. Hope you do this again. <laughs> we will do s stuff like this again. If for you sure. remember pre-COVID, we had a couple of cathedrals where we read through full books yeah. of the New Testament. That's a little bit of Matt's of my heart to get more of scripture into our community. And mm -hmm. of course, in the ancient culture and in the, in the, in, uh, certainly the early church, they only read it basically in community. Nobody had copies of the Bible they took home privately. They read it together as a community and they wrestled with the text together. And there's something beautiful about that. Yeah, Jonathan, maybe we could even just put a challenge out there. Mm. Sometime, sometime in the summertime, I know our community groups are often the premier environment for this type of conversation, but maybe sometime over the summer, hopefully we're able to do some like backyard hangouts or some outdoor gatherings or something like that in, in, our, in our communities. Um, get together with a couple of other Bible nerds and read just a chapter and don't come with like your pocket full of ideas that you want to share. Come with questions. Mm. What did you guys hear in this? What, what do you think God was saying? What was the Spirit saying to you when we were reading it? What mm. came alive to you for the first time? And just bug each other. Ask some questions to each other. Like, I, I, if you've ever been able to have a conversation like that, you walk away with such a sense that the Spirit of God was present with you. Yeah, your, your heart is just like beating if you feel so I, I don't know those are some of the most powerful spiritual moments I've ever had and they're rare they're hard to come by especially in our culture and our city and the way we do life but what a challenge I, I challenge you to do that I'm going to think of how I could do that in, in my life because it's hard it's hard to figure that out so the Holy Spirit's here and we're going to pray but this weekend Love Army pointing to Matt's uh, sweatshirt uh, 
We're focusing on the last week of Global Focus justice and mercy issues and specifically our First Nations people in Canada. And we're going to have a challenge for you to participate in doing good uh, and helping uh, First Nations people. And you're going to learn a little bit more of their story from Pastor Reggie Neposh this coming weekend uh, as he shares with us. So why don't you pray into our weekend also? Yeah, but let's, yeah. let's, let's pray this, uh, like the heart of this text, into our community too. So mm. I'm going to let Pastor Matt lead us. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and I, I love, uh, Naz just said, I love the discussion. Search says, please do more of this. Roseanne says, plot twist, I am a nerd too. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, we've laughed with you. We've been encouraged by you. And we want to now bless you. Pastor Matt, yeah, lead us in prayer. God, thank you for your word. Mm. Thank you for this beautiful text that comes to us with hundreds of layers. Every time we look at it, we see a little bit more of uh, your story that you're writing. It all points us to your son, Jesus. Yes. And in a, a story like this, we see so much of our own fallen nature that we would be, uh, man, what a great loss we would be at if that's all the only, only piece of the story we had is just our own brokenness, our own wrong, our own distance that we've put between ourselves and you. But God, we thank you that this story also shows us your grace, your love, mm. your compassion, your mercy, yes. your willingness to bend in towards us. Thank you, Jesus. Even as we do so little sometimes to deserve it. God, you, you've, you've consistently been there for us mm. in a way to draw us closer to yourself and help clean us up, mm. get us on our feet, and give us a new purpose in your family. So God, I pray that you would help us as a community to see that in others. Even as we see the opportunities to share our faith, God, may we see our own history in those that we're talking to, that we are, we are sharing with someone else just an amazing resource that we have found that has changed mm. our life. Mm. And God, I pray that you would help um, <clears throat> as we head into this weekend, as we understand even from, from this text a little bit more what it means to be responsible as a community. God, I thank you that we have a responsibility to each other, for each other in some special ways as a family of God, but we also have a responsibility to make things right, maybe even for things that we weren't even alive for, mm -hmm. but we are, we are somehow connected to. God, I thank you that we can be a part of someone else's story, seeing some hope, seeing some new light seeing some restoration, mm. seeing some things being put in right places. Mm. We, can't, we can't make everything right again. You're the one who has already done that. But we can be a part of people's stories coming back better into connection. So God, I pray that as we, we head into this weekend, God, I pray that you would help us experience that in this community. Mm. That you would help us as we share your, your truth in, in a moment like this and how you've changed our life and how you're leading us to be a part of what other people are experiencing. May that be just a, a huge piece that resonates with our hearts as we mm. walk between now and this weekend. God, each of us have a new day tomorrow with new challenges, mm. the relationships that we experience, the people that we're trying to share our faith with, the people that are mentoring and encouraging us, the people who challenge us. God, would you give us the grace knowing that we were once your enemies and you have brought us close to be able to share that with others as we walk into our days tomorrow. We pray a, a, pray a blessing on each life that has been present in the chat room or even just present opening their Bible and hearing your word. Mm. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for this community. Mm. In your awesome, mighty, 
gracious name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, Pastor Matt. I love you, man. So appreciate you. See everybody. And I love you, One Church TO. Thanks for joining us tonight. And we will do this again. And thanks for all the great comments. God bless. Have a great night. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.